Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist based in Los Angeles, specializing in trauma and addiction. Welcome to our podcast, which is called It's Not About the Sex, also the name of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term, sustainable recovery. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical tools for living a deeply connected life. Let's get started. Welcome, Sue. Hey, Andrew. How are you? Hey, Sue. I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing great. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad that you could join us again today. Of course. And today is an extra special day because we're going to be talking about a topic that's very close to my heart. And it's actually a chapter in my book as well. Cool. Can't wait to hear about it. Yeah. Well, well, the name is The Rhythm Within. Interesting. Yeah. What exactly does that mean? Well... The Rhythm Within was something that my therapist back in the early 90s shared with me for the very first time. Okay. And when I finished grad school, I was was really young. I was still in my 20s. And he was all about listening to what's going on deeper within ourselves. And of course, that's a staple of good therapy. But at the time... I didn't quite understand that. And what he said was basically that in order to listen to the rhythm within us, inside of us, is is really the foundation for for everything else in life. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about, you know, feeling comfortable in our own skin, uh, whether we're having satisfying relationships, whether we're involved in, in activities or engaging for us. He really felt that in order to have all of those things, the fullness of life, we had to really slow down, slow down quite a bit and, and listen to the rhythm within. So was he saying to apply that? during a specific time or just to be uh, like more aware, self-aware, like during the day, like to bring that, call that back during like your day-to-day activities. Right. Well, by the way, his name was Bert and I just want to share what Bert's office looked like because I am having a flashback as we're talking (laughs) to, to his office. So he had a beautiful home and he actually converted his garage into an office and the office had shag rug, <laughs> beanbag chairs, masks from all around the world, wow. and just little trinkets and, and little things that he collected through the years. Mm-hmm. And so it was really exuding Bert when, when you walked in there. And I always felt, and this might sound a little strange, like I was kind of walking into the womb. Mm-hmm because I felt so safe with him and I felt so engaged in a way that I hadn't before. Like his level of attunement and his level of really loving me and his clients was quite... Nice. It was a lot. Comforting. Comforting and sometimes too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I didn't I know what to do with it right at the here. time. Yeah, but, but I guess the reason I talk about and write about the rhythm within 
is because to me, it's the foundation of everything else in life. So when you met with him and heard about this, um, how long did it take you to really implement it in your own life? Well, I think I'm still implementing yeah, it okay. in some ways, <laughs> even though that was 25, 27 years ago. Um, you know, what, what, what I noticed at the very beginning was an awareness that, that even just naming the rhythm within mm -hmm. and his encouragement to slow down and to try and get out of the anxiety in my head or the busyness in my head right. in itself was super powerful. And so it's really a daily practice, but it's something that from the beginning, I felt some relief because I was so outwardly focused. I was really a doer at the time. I still am a doer, but I was more of a doer back then. And he just encouraged me to slow down. And, and, and as part of the therapeutic relationship, I felt like he challenged me to be in the moment with him in a way that no other therapist had at that time. Wow. Yeah. Well, we live in the society of go, 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 do, do, do. I mean, that's kind of what it's been like since you said, what, the late 80s? But yeah, it's just we've been on this just thoroughfare of just going straight. Um, and you mentioned slowing down. But what exactly is important about that slowing down? What does that look like? Yeah. Well, let me um, preface that by saying that there was a wonderful uh, therapist that we actually referenced on a previous podcast named John Bradshaw. Okay. And John Bradshaw was a pioneer when it came to family systems work, when it came to inner child work, and when it came to really doing what it took to, to pay attention to what was going on inside of us. And he used to talk about the difference between a human being and a human doing. And I think until I met Bert, I was a human doing. Doing, right. You know, I was all about lists. I was all about tasks and, and, and somehow keeping busy. And it wasn't much fun, to tell you the truth. There was a perfectionism in that, that for me anyway, that was really painful. And the idea of moving from human doing to human being takes... A surrender of sorts, right? A willingness to say, what am I willing to do to truly slow down, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't speak for the younger part of myself at this moment, but nowadays I have a ritual every morning where I, I wake up and I meditate for 10 minutes. My dog comes in the room with me. He has his own form of meditation. I have mine. <laughs> I do some stretching, which also for me is mindful and important for me to to allow my body to have that experience so that I'm not, you know, putting myself at risk in, diff in different ways. Sure. But for me, the, that kind of tone setter at the very beginning of the day actually helps the rest of my day. And you were asking before about, well, is this something that you just do during, you know, during the day? Or, and to me, it's it's more of a 
24-7 kind of thing. Not that I know exactly right. what my sleep is all about, although I sleep okay. But it's, it's holding the intention to be more mindful, to listen to what's going on inside of me, to literally slow myself down at times. There's an expression, um, I think it's from the 12-step community, to respond rather than react. So I was very reactive mm-hmm. for many, many years. And reactivity, I believe, is about trying, it's about something fast, right? It's about trying to figure something out or quickly, or right? Quickly, yeah. exactly. And responding is about sometimes biting my tongue, sometimes taking a breath, but there's a decision to respond rather than react, to slow things down rather than react. So slowing down takes on a lot of different dimensions. And sometimes it's just taking a deep breath or two. And sometimes it's just saying, huh, what, what's going on inside of me at this moment? And trying to be non-judgmental and curious about that. Right. And accepting of imperfections etc right yeah so i would say that that takes a lot of practice and over time and obviously it's going to help reduce stress and if that stress that we feel isn't processed or isn't released and i assume that that is what slowing down is doing it's it's processing and it's releasing that stress in a different way, not in a reactive way. Um, but if that's not processed and released, is that what will lead to a relapse? And what do you re- recommend for stress release? Sure. So I'm glad you asked about the relapse piece because that's really what this is all about. If there's an opportunity or a capacity to slow down and to really listen to the rhythm within, chances are there's going to be less vulnerability to relapse because over time it's kind of like a muscle right and if that muscle isn't used to slowing down it's going to be uncomfortable at first right it's it's going to be sore at first but you're right it is a practice and and is it's a daily practice and if someone is truly interested in having long-term sustainable sexual sobriety chances are that they're going to be willing to to do whatever it takes to slow down and listen to what's going on inside of them, just like going to the gym. Maybe it's like the emotional gym or the Mm -hmm. spiritual gym. But you're right, compulsivity, anything compulsive, anything obsessive is really like the mind working fast. And so again, we're talking about brain training and we're talking about slowing things down and learning that it can be a pleasant experience to slow down. Like I said, at first it may be super painful, but over time it might be more pleasant and, and actually something that somebody wants more of. So in terms of stress, you know, stress is complicated because there's actually stress hormones sometimes serve a purpose. They help us mobilize and help us sure. do what we want to do, right? Well, that primal like flight or fright is part of stress, right? Is that flight, 
Fright Flight. <laughs> we are pretty close to Halloween, so. <laughs> Fight or flight. Yes. <laughs> Not fright. <laughs> exactly. Although, maybe we could have a fight, flight, fright. Fright night. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, my goodness. Um, so funny. <laughs> you know, the, the fight, flight, freeze response is is primal and it's something that we all need in order to function and respond to our environment the thing about stress and this is something i studied in grad school is that there's stress that is actually pleasant they they called it eustress eu stress okay. and then there's the stress that's unpleasant which is distress okay. and either way you know what happens in the brain with distress or eustress in the brain i would as well i'm thinking of cortisol and adrenal and different hormones that are just starting to pump into your system right so that it starts in the brain and they actually have the same exact chemical yeah. right so so stress, you know, there's a, a guy um, that I studied again in grad school, and I, I don't mean to bring too many of our forefathers into the room, but sometimes they, they fit. Uh, this guy named Han Seeley was kind of like the stress pioneer. I think he even may have coined the term. And he said, it's not stress that kills us. It's our reaction to it. It's not stress that kills us. It's our reaction ah, to it. Okay. So if we get stressed by an argument we have with someone close to us, there's a chance that that could create more vulnerability to relapse if we if we react to it in a certain way. If we if we get take it personally, or if we make a mountain out of a molehill, or whatever that is. But there's also an opportunity to possibly react to it differently and to use some self-care tools, like I was talking about. Maybe it's breathing. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's calling a friend or a sponsor. Maybe it's going for a run, right? There's all kinds of things we can do. But that's really a decision point, mm -hmm. right? Right. And I think it's an important one. And I want to share another image with you because this is something I saw a long time ago and it, it always stuck with me. So imagine a small toy truck and the toy truck is going up this incline, right? Like up a hill. And the, it's running out of energy. It, it doesn't have the... Um, what do they call that with trucks that... The part, you know, the, the they just they need the the umph basically right, right. Yeah. for a lack know, of technical the term. Or the, yeah. yeah. So, but there's two choices: either the truck driver can take some of the load off, or they can add whatever that well, umph is. Shift to a lower gear. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So there's options. Right. And the reason I, I keep thinking of that little truck is because sometimes, especially in addiction recovery, I think it can be difficult to realize the options that we truly have. Right. And that sometimes there's that futile attempt 
to to make something happen that's just not possible. But well, can can I ask for help? Can I uh, take a break? Can I take a, a part of the load off? It's just being aware of of having a choice and right. and making a change because with change it takes energy. Any type of change, and if mm-hmm. you're going to change your reaction, you need to know that you can shift into a lower gear mm-hmm. you know you need to know what your options are and that takes a lot of energy and and knowledge and self-awareness and mm-hmm. there's a lot in there and sometimes but, humility right right especially as men in recovery sometimes there's this notion that i think men are socialized to to do everything by themselves right they don't ask for direction oh, sure. they don't ask for help in general and again, this is, this is a component of recovery that is about connection, connection to self, connection to others, and maybe a connection to a power greater than oneself, mm-hmm. a higher power or God, if, if somebody has that belief system. So let's talk a little bit more about relaxation and True relaxation is is an art. And can you say more about what this means to you and how it can reduce the vulnerability to relapse? Yeah, you know, I I do believe that relaxation, true relaxation is an art. And the reason I say that is because a lot of us think if we veg in front of the TV, that's relaxation. And I have nothing against Vegging in front of the TV (laughs) in moderation. Um, But what we're talking about is physiological, right? We're talking about the mind, body, and spirit relaxing, or sometimes we could call it the brain, body, and spirit. And either way, relaxation, again, is a choice, you know, to to say to oneself, you know, what what is my relationship with relaxation? How, how do I relax? Do I relax? Right. And so many of my clients really don't even know how to answer that question. And so sometimes we're starting from ground zero, or sometimes we're, we're actually saying, well, how did you used to relax? And, and is there a way to revisit or reclaim some of those ways? I like that. Yeah. So part of the idea is starting with the question, what's your relationship to relaxation? I know that I was not very good at relaxation for a long, long time Mm -hmm. until probably about the time I met Bert and he started using this expression, the rhythm within. And maybe, you know, as a kid, I'll give you an example. As a kid, I grew up with a, a Siberian Husky named Nikki. Nikki was brown and white with two different color eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was the love source of our family. Like when we didn't know how to love each other, he was there for us. And he was totally, sure. of course, like most dogs, unconditionally loving uh, yeah. and unconditionally accepting, even when our home was chaotic. So I mentioned Nikki because when I was with him, he was really like my nervous system regulator. I didn't know it at the time, of course, but he regulated me. And I think we had a co-regulation where we helped regulate one another. 
but the source of regulation for me or the the byproduct is that physiologically regulation is about relaxation so there's a lot of r's here <laughs> regulation relaxation um resiliency, resourcefulness, they all kind of go together. They're in the same neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, for me, um, one source of relaxation is hanging out with my dog. Of course, Nikki isn't around anymore physically, but nowadays I have Bowie. Right. And recently I had a chunk of time with Bowie alone, and I can't tell you how relaxing it was. He's like the best companion right, ever. Right. So, so I mentioned that, and then for me, it's it's always been. I, I actually work on relaxation in my therapy sessions um, with my therapist. I'm, I'm okay. Sometimes with my clients as well. Um, I also do some yoga. I do some swimming. So relaxation doesn't have to be sitting still up on top of a mountain. Oh, some, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's where I was headed. And I was like, I, I don't even know the road. <laughs> <laughs> well, for instance, I don't know about you, but swimming for me is, even though I'm not a fast swimmer, it's really like a meditation. That's nice. You know, I'm in yeah. the water. I'm doing the um, different strokes in the water that I enjoy. And it's not easy, but it is meditative. And, okay. and So you're not playing Marco Polo? No, no, no Marco Polo. Okay. And... Um, <laughs> And no polo, period. That that'd be too much. <laughs> that is a, yeah. Water, well, that's water. amazing. I mean, I wish I, I haven't found that yet. I used to find that on my bike and being able to have that exercise as a release of stress. Yeah. Um, but I haven't really found that yet, but I'm still looking. I'm looking for that. Well, I think, like you said, it's, it's sometimes the search, yeah. right? And, and sometimes it's a trial and error to figure out what truly is relaxing. Um, you know, my meditation has become such a companion for me that I know if I miss my meditation one day, I, I feel a little different. Off, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. I'm, I'm happy to hear that you have a practice and um, I'm working on that too. And there's a lot of steps to get to that. But yeah. Um, I think it, it definitely pays back tenfold when you can get that daily practice. You know, I don't know if I shared this with you before, but for years and years, I was dabbling in meditation. And then I went to a local meditation center that did a mindfulness meditation course. Nice. And so it was an investment, number one. Mm -hmm. But also there was homework every single night for, I think, eight weeks. And I tend to be a little compulsive when it comes to homework. But in this case, I really, really wanted it. It was time. Mm -hmm. And um, just as an aside, it, my brother was very sick at the time. And I didn't know if I was going to go forward with the class. And the meditation teacher said, no, I really think this is the best time to do it. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a, a, in memory of Steve, it allowed me to really carve that space for myself and also for the grief of losing my brother. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, I know we talked about mindfulness in the past, mm -hmm. um, and that word is just everywhere nowadays. Right. 
Um, but describe a little bit more like what this really means and how someone might incorporate mindfulness into their daily lifestyle. Right. So my class that I took was actually given by a woman who had moved here from uh, Eastern Massachusetts and had worked with the originator or the founder of mindfulness as we know it today. Mm -hmm. His name was John Kabat-Zinn. Oh, yeah. And her name is Trudy Goodman. And Trudy um, had this great exercise at the very beginning of the course where they passed out a raisin, a raisin, to each person. And the exercise was very simple. We, we, We felt the raisin. We looked at the raisin. We put the raisin in our mouth without chewing. We noticed the raisin sitting on our tongue. We took one chew at a time. And I'll never forget that raisin was so incredibly flavorful. Mm-hmm. When I chewed into it after a couple minutes of looking at this little tiny raisin. And that was the symbol of mindfulness. And the way I look at it is that it's not only being in the here and now, right? Not only being in the present tense moment, but it's observing ourselves in the present tense moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like third body almost, like third person. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just being aware of where you are in the space That's at right. that moment. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's like that self-observer that's available in each of us. Sometimes we forget to notice that, but but to self-observe is really a practice as well. So John Kabat-Zinn certainly brought mindfulness into the mainstream. And it's also about observing ourselves with curiosity and without judgment, mm-hmm. right? That's right. so important right. because I know I have a strong inner critic at times. Yeah. Not I was as, just going to use that word, too. Yeah, yeah. That inner critic is it gets me into trouble all the time. Yeah. yeah. But there's something about, for me, not pouring salt in the wound. Right. Right? So if the inner critic is doing its thing, then that's one thing, right? We can let it run amok. But if we're able to look at it and notice it and and separate ourselves from it and say, oh, that's just a part of me. And and again, be curious and, and non-judgmental. There's an opportunity to truly, to come back to our words of the day, mm-hmm. to, to slow down and experience the rhythm within. So what are your ways of listening and hearing and really feeling that rhythm within? For me, it's oftentimes about asking myself, the question, what, what's happening inside of me right now, right? What, what's going on right now? Thoughts, feelings, sensations, memories, images, anything. Now, are you doing that at a time where you need to make a choice? Or are you, or are you doing that just casually? Is that a crisis point where you're like, oh, you catch yourself? Both. Okay. Right. Because if if it's happening at a time when I'm not in a crisis moment or not activated, 
it actually is more of an opportunity to be able to stretch those muscles and and look at maybe what's going positively mm -hmm. inside of me. Because just like we're talking about slowing down to relax and be mindful, we also want to look at what what is it that's feeling really positive and, and buoyant in our lives. And can we take a moment to take stock of that and to notice, huh, how does that feel on the inside? That's great, yeah. Instead of always looking and framing it from a point of crises, find those good moments. Yeah. Because you'd be probably are surprised how many there are in the day-to-day. -day, right. You know, and we always tend, I mean, I shouldn't say we always, but <laughs> a lot of the times when you're going through... Um, trying to be more self-aware and be more mindful. You're focusing on the things that need help instead of focusing on, hey, I'm already doing this, and this works right now. So, right. So that's good. And, and just to piggyback on that, I, I think that, you know, what Bert would probably say is that once we're able to ground ourselves and, and really tap into the calm, peaceful, grounded part of us, then we're more ready to deeply connect with others, right? If we're feeling dysregulated or if we're feeling disconnected or if we're feeling ungrounded in some way or another, it's almost impossible to have deeper contact with others. So the rhythm within is also a portal towards having more meaningful and deeply connected relationships. Wow. That's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We all need that for sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this. I'm definitely going to put it into action. Awesome. Work on my daily meditation a little more. Fantastic. Me too. I mean, it's, it really is a daily practice. And a part of one's lifestyle, if we choose to, to take on the challenge. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's not... For everybody, there's no. other things. I mean, even if someone can be meditative in listening to music or, you know, finding... Because I feel like music is a mood changer. And there's like one go-to song for me. I know if I'm down, I'm like, oh, let me put this on. And just like that, it just changes my mood. And I listen to it over and over and over, and I feel great. Um, but yeah, this is just another... Another tool to add to your toolbox yeah. to help you through. That's for sure. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being with me once again. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening today. And be sure to give us a five-star rating and share this podcast with others. We always welcome your comments. And if there's things that you want us to discuss in future podcasts, please let us know.